Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are jumping into sort of current events, uh, something that basically everybody has been thinking about. Um, We are by no means experts in what's going on in the war in Ukraine, but uh, we figured it would be good to take a step back and to think about it from a pastoral perspective and a theological perspective Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, as we think through what is happening, uh, ways that we can try to understand what's happening uh, in a world of lots of confusion and uh, mixed opinions on things, Mm -hmm. and we can think about ways to pray for what's going on there and so on. And so there's a lot that can be said, but maybe it's good to start with saying that we are not experts on geopolitical theory. (laughs) Um, And so we have to say... uh, we have to sort of stay in our lane, yeah, as it yeah. were, and make sure we're not overstepping our bounds. But there is a lot of interesting uh, food for thought, I think, in, a, in any conversation that uh, goes on surrounding these issues that we're watching on our news screens, um, including the religious mm-hmm. uh, basis in some ways for this war, the religious uh, argument, yeah. argument for what's yeah. happening with the Russian Orthodox Church and the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And so there's a lot of different ways that this conversation could go. And uh, I'm really interested to hearing some of Mark's thoughts and really even hearing from from our listeners uh, about Mm -hmm. ways that we're all trying to make sense of what's happening and the effect that it's having on on all of us here. Yeah, this is one of the great reasons, I think, for the podcast is that um, I did preach a sermon on war a couple weeks ago, and uh, part of the reason for that was there was a nice little slot there in our preaching schedule where um, I had a kind of a hole that I needed to fill. And so I did preach on war in general, um, Psalm 2 of why the nations rage and the people's plot in vain and how the Lord is enthroned over the earth and the Lord laughs, he scoffs at tyrants who hmm. want to control the world through violent means. Um, and, and yet that was still a more of a general theology of sin, um, with particular application to how the Christian responds to war. But here in this podcast, we can get into more current events that that really, quite honestly, don't belong in a sermon. Um, we want to teach about these things from a biblical perspective. We want to cover things that people are talking about and thinking about. Um, so this is meant for the members of Almond Valley, but also uh, mm-hmm. members of churches far and wide who... Um, are, are thinking about how does a Christian react to these things. Yeah. There's, I think, a lot of anxiety yeah. that people feel in watching this, and how could you not? Um, we, we're not, I, th- I think, we're not unfamiliar with watching war on our televisions. We've we've been watching that, at least my generation, basically, mm-hmm. most of our Since cognitive lives. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it goes back even further than than my lifetime i was born in 1990 and so i i grew up right in the midst of 
of 9-11 and going to going to war in the Middle East and Iraq and Afghanistan. And so it's not abnormal to see really shocking and disturbing images or videos online. Um, and having grown up with with the internet, you you've, you sometimes will see really unfortunate things that people have filmed. But mm-hmm. it is different watching war unfold in Europe. Um, and there's maybe a lot that you could read into that. Uh, but it's it's it feels closer to home, as mm-hmm. it were, um, and so it's it's more alarming in that sense. Um, and yeah, so, a ground war in Europe. That was uh, yeah, you know, a, somebody, an acquaintance of mine who was just so shocked that in his yeah. lifetime there has been a ground war. I mean, it, and that that maybe forgets that there was the civil war in Bosnia um, mm-hmm. in the nineties, um, but that was a different type of war in a lot of ways whereas this is uh almost more of what seems like a world war ii style invasion of a country yeah and um and this seems like a powder like, keg there's a tyrant yeah. involved yeah at least that's what most people would call vladimir putin i yeah. think including ourselves uh, sort of a dictator sort of leader and so it seems like this is a real powder keg of a situation that could really blow up and and over like overflow yeah, spillover, and, and, yeah. and to spill over into the rest of Europe and therefore yeah. into the world. And that's why president Biden himself has even said several times, I think that if the U S or NATO gets involved, this basically just becomes world war three. And so yeah. those are, that's a terrifying it thing is. to consider that war is not only on the, on the doorstep of Ukraine, but it's on the doorstep of Europe and really the Western world in general. And so, for all these reasons, I think when we talk about what's going on in Ukraine right now, it it strikes in most of us a sense of panic, a sense mm. of concern, not just for economical issues that are going to be happening, like we've seen already at the gas pump, but mm. it makes us wonder if this is going to bring us back into World War III and we will relive a lot of the horrors that most of us have only grown up hearing about or watching movies about. Um, and so mm-hmm. for those reasons, I think maybe a good place to start is to remember uh, who God is, to remember the strength and power and the goodness of the Lord. Um, and I think that there's a lot that can be said about the place of the Psalms mm-hmm. uh, as we start out thinking about how to make sense of war. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, it was actually... It was a week Mark was gone to, to baptize uh, former members of our church's new new baby daughter. Um, so he, he flew back to Grand Rapids, and I was preaching that Sunday, and that was, I think, the week that war officially broke out mm, yeah, in Ukraine. that Thursday, yeah. And so my congregational prayer that morning was based upon Psalm 46, which is the great psalm from which Luther wrote, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, but... That psalm is a great place to turn when the anxieties of war or of the, the tumult of the world begin to uh, weigh down on us. And it's just start, it starts out with famous words, God is our refuge and strength, excuse me, uh, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. And so the starting place of this is recognizing God as our great refuge and strength and our help in trouble um, and praying that God would would be 
our strength, be our refuge, and also be the strength and refuge of the people in Ukraine. This is a simple way to start. This is a simple way to think about war, but it's a absolutely fundamental way to to having peace in this world uh, that that has very little peace, uh, especially when we're yeah seeing what's going on in all of the the terrifying things that are going on in Ukraine. Yeah, and just continuing in that Psalm 46, verse 9, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And then the next verse is the one everyone remembers. Be still and know (laughs) that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so um, this is is nothing new to God. Um, Mm -hmm. There have been wars, uh, you know, when I preached on war, I was going to mention there was a war when there were four people in the world when Cain killed Abel. Um, hmm. I mean, so this doesn't, this isn't just due to capitalism and it's not just due to uh, borders and um, treaties that weren't very good. This is due to sinful human nature. And so yeah. um, there will be wars and rumors of wars until the return of Christ. And, um, hmm. People remember that warning, but then they also forget the command that follows right after where Jesus says, and do not be anxious, do not be alarmed. Uh, He says that several times in Mark chapter 13. Do not be alarmed because these things um, will happen before my return, but trust me, be ready for that day. Um, Trust the Lord even through those difficult things. And so I I think that at times um, people can feel as though we are entitled to safe, comfort, uh, easygoing life. Um, that's the way that I admittedly think about my life, is that yeah. that this incursion on my peace is, is sort of something strange and anomalous. Um, but yeah. uh, Peter says, do not be surprised at the painful trial you're enduring and as if, as if it were something strange happening to you <laughs> because yeah. there's sin in this world. And, um, you know... You don't want to be uh, too fatalistic about things at all, hmm. but at the same time recognize there's sin in the world, and so there's going to be war in the world, yeah. and God is over it and gives strength to his people, um, and he does this that Psalm 46 promised. He does make war cease and mm-hmm. grants people with peace by his both common and particular grace, but um, you know, at the same time, the Christian who thinks seriously about the world should not be all that surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I, th- I think what Peter does there is give us a healthy dose of realism. Yeah, it's not pessimism, but it is it is to be real with understanding how sin affects our world, and how war is a great symptom of sin, um, because there is strife in our hearts. There is passions at war within us. We as a as a species find ourselves going to war yeah. <clears throat> with with each other. Um, and that could sound a little bit like I'm just resigned to there being war, and so I guess these things just happen. That's not really the argument that I'm making because we should strive for peace, we should love peace, and pray that there would be peace in yeah. the world between nations and within nations. But when evil men advance, as the Psalms remind us quite often, which happens, um, this is the result of sin in the world, and uh, Christians should be courageous against that should be thoughtful, should be, uh, what Jesus says, shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves Hmm. in these circumstances, but um, never fear 
or um, or commit the sin of worry as though um, a war could uh, kind of upend the sovereignty of God in some way in the world. Hmm. Yeah, one of the great questions that war causes us to ask is, where is God in all of this? Yeah. And why does God allow for these sorts of things to take place? And in some sense, those are unanswerable questions. And those are, those are great mysterious questions. Um, and there's not always going to be perfect answers for every, for everything when it comes to why God allows for great tragedies mm-hmm. to take place. We're not really given the answers on those things. Um, I think we can, however, make some um, broad brushstroke sort of outlines of trying to make sense with with what's going on. And I think Romans 9 actually, interestingly, gives us um, some interesting food for thought in regards to God and his, his uh, interactions with Pharaoh um, and how Paul says that God raised Pharaoh up um, mm. so that through Pharaoh, his God's glory and, and mercy may be displayed. His power would be displayed over Pharaoh and his name would be made known. Um, and so mm. there's, there could be a sense in which through war and the, the, the raising up or the rising up of evil tyrants and dictators, God is is making himself known by bringing and restoring peace in those times, by bringing ends to war, as Psalm seventy or Psalm forty six mm-hmm. um, puts it. And so we d- we don't know all the details of of why God is doing what He's doing, but we can we can see that God is working through all things, and yeah. He is He is bringing peace and justice. Um, and that is what we pray for, right? The kingdom of God would come and his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's the great hope is that though sin has entered the world, though sin has plagued the world with with a heavy darkness, mm. um, God is restoring all things. And he is in the business of entering into his world in Christ and redeeming it um, Yeah, there's reports from this war already of people saying, I've seen amazing things that no one could explain. Uh, hmm. People from the Ukrainian side, based, uh, similar to uh, reports from other wars, uh, World War II. Um, I know this has said a lot of the uh, the defense of Israel in the wars that Israel was involved in in the 60s and 70s, that, um, that miraculous preservation of, of people was very evident and plain and um, was often ascribed to to God as intervening, even even in the middle of a war, hmm. um, to direct things in in certain certain ways. And so, um, we, we certainly don't don't want to ascribe evil to God, as the Bible says we should not do. But we can. Uh, I remember the words of Herman Bovink where he says the the sovereignty of God is the belief that that God, in His infinite goodness, can bend even what men intend for evil. And to turn towards his ultimate purposes um, of of redeeming people through Christ. So um, yeah. that's that's the story of Joseph, right? Where Joseph, at the end of his life, says, "What man intended for evil, God can God actually used for good." So hmm. if we really believe that, um, we believe yeah. that that would apply to every situation. Like the author of Ecclesiastes, God can make anything beautiful in its time, hmm. and so um, that that's maybe the the overall picture of of where we want to go but um during um 
during my sermon on war, I did want to recognize that that it is a complicated matter, even in Scripture. And yeah. so you have in the Bible discussion of war. You even have God's command to to war against other nations. And so sometimes people can wonder uh, a, a little bit about that, and it can be a real stumbling block for some people that that there would be war among the people of God, especially in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. And um, that gets to um, what is kind of called a just war theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so I would want to encourage Christian listeners that when a war starts in Ukraine, we don't have to create all of a sudden a theology of war, but we can go to the Bible and to church history and find great mm-hmm thinking and, and good wisdom and truth about these matters. Um, we, we distinguish ourselves from the secular uh, modern person in that sense of, oh boy, a war is happening. What do I believe about war? Am I a pacifist? Do I think that those people should go get guns in Ukraine and yeah. line up in the line there? Um, what do I really think about this? And that's uh, a big question, right? People are asking, people yeah. who are anti-gun, yeah. uh, and we shouldn't have guns at all. What do you? Th- what do? What do those people think when they are watching video of, of Ukrainian civilians going and having guns passed out to them? Yeah. Um, because that person, most people who are anti-gun and uh, wouldn't want to have uh, guns in their own household, mm-hmm. would be against the war. What's happening in Ukraine? Yeah. And so, even defending themselves. And so they. Yeah. yeah. And so there would be a sort of. I guess cognitive dissonance, cognitive yeah. dissonance, yeah, <laughs> immoral dissonance, yeah, because there would be the tension between, yeah, we shouldn't own own firearms, we shouldn't protect ourselves and in, in, with violence, but also what's happening to them is a great evil, um, and so yeah, this this does require us to get into uh, some some just war theory. Yeah, um, I think the easiest way, for, at least this is how I understand just war theory it is a theory of Mm self-defense blown up into epic proportions yeah national uh, scale national scale yeah um and so it's just in the christian worldview or it's it's righteous or it's fair to defend oneself uh against threats of violence using equally strong threats of of reactionary violence mm-hmm. um, so if somebody enters your home and for all you know they are out to kill in order to take something from you or they're just there to kill uh, you would be morally justified in using threat of violence up to and including the point of death um, especially to defend your family yeah um, I mean we're not talking here about somebody tried to take my lawn chairs out of my backyard right mm-hmm. Um and so uh, the right, the yeah. the response meets it, it meets the the threat level. It has to be proportionate yeah, to yeah, the threat. Yeah. Um, and so if somebody, if you wake up in the middle of the night and somebody's standing over you and it, it's dark, yeah. And for all you know, they could have a knife or a gun. I think you would be morally justified in responding with violence um, in order to defend yourself. Mm-hmm. Not just um, justified, but I would even go a step further and say it would be good to yeah. do that. To defend yourself, um, yeah. to defend your wife, to defend your kids, yeah. um, or to defend your husband. I'm, I, <laughs> women can can defend themselves too. Sure. Um, and so, yeah, that 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 is how just war theory essentially works when it comes to um, its its national defense, 
or it's the defense of innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, Justice, peace. Yeah. Yep. And so what are some other things you talked about in your sermon in regards to just war? I know I wasn't yeah. on just war yeah. as a sermon, but well, I know in, you in, mentioned it. In thinking about this Ukrainian conflict, um, I... I I would say we we have we talk a lot about the double ditches on this podcast, and so hmm. on one side of this issue is the ditch of militarism and glorification of war, and yeah. on the other side of the ditch is cowardice, pacifism. Um, I, I I don't think all pacifists are necessarily cowards, but hmm. they um, they it's actually an unbiblical teaching. I would say is nas- nationalistic pacifism. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are those two ditches and, and I think we want to be somewhere in the middle. We don't, we don't want to glorify war as this, um, mm-hmm. means to an end of national aggrandizement. During my sermon, I told the, the story, I confessed the sin of being in college and hearing about the war that was going to begin in Afghanistan. And I remember with my friends, we were just a little bit giddy or oh, we're just going to go clean clean up Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. There's nothing they can do. They don't stand a chance against us. Mm-hmm. And my RA yelled at us. He said, this is mm-hmm. not a video game, you idiots. Like yeah. this is, this is real life and people are going to die and you need to pray and you need to stop talking that way. Yeah. And so wow. <laughs> I'm thankful for my RA, John Kinmouth. I'm sure he's not listening, but uh, <laughs> he was a good man. And mm-hmm. to have that wisdom as a 20 year old, um, was yeah. was really good and he just stopped us in our tracks because we fell into that hmm. immature um sinful foolish attitude about war and i think that people can have that attitude in watching the news almost as entertainment mm-hmm. like what happened in the war today it's like okay let, yeah. let's see um it, yeah I, I need a little uh adrenaline kick and yeah. it feels good to know or to see an image of yeah. an explosion um, yeah. That's actually someone's home, and could have had some children in that house, and mm-hmm. could have died in that very moment that I'm now consuming through for my entertainment. Yeah, um, I, I think that militaristic ditch is is a very deep one, and mm-hmm. our own Acts of Sin in 1939 in the Christian Reformed Church warned very seriously against that mm-hmm. war for war's sake, or war for national aggrandizement, or for ego. Mm-hmm. Um, the glorification of it is is terrible, and so. That's one side of, of the issue, but then the other is is that we are called to do good by by going to wars that are just. Yeah, and uh, I don't I don't know if we want to get into a huge discussion of just war theory, but I would say yeah, no. when we see those Ukrainian citizens bravely standing in line to receive arms, and when we hear that they're being trained to to kill and to defend their their land we can we can pray that the lord would make that successful hmm. um that 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 is a good thing that they're doing yeah and uh one does not need to be conflicted in in doing that and that sounds very dramatic but that's the mm-hmm. way the psalms talk mm-hmm. you know break the teeth of the wicked man break the arm of the wicked ruler lord um mm-hmm. and the, that the way that the lord does this is by by prompting courageous men to to stand mm-hmm. and to to go and fight um again don't want to glorify that or yeah. uh think of that as this sort of um you know way of elevating oneself to be a war hero mm-hmm. that, that can happen a lot in american culture yeah, um, yeah but uh at the same time 
when the call is there and when it it seems just mm -hmm. but based on all the information that we know like what is happening in ukraine that it would be a it is a good thing for mm -hmm. a men to, part to participate yeah this brings up an interesting point i think you've touched on now um and what you just said regarding how we think through war heroes yeah. or the the sort of glory of war uh because yeah there are tremendous stories of heroic men who have died in war uh, and we do want to um, say true things about them we do want to uh, yeah. learn lessons from their bravery from their courage from their, uh, their the strength of their will to fight for what was right and mm -hmm. to do things even when it cost them everything um, but we can do so in such a way as to glorify not just them in a proper way but to glorify war and so I think that it's interesting that the Acts of Synod were very clear uh, about not glorifying war. We should lament war. War yeah. is a grave evil, and it's not something that should ever be seen in a positive light. It shouldn't be sought out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's actually one of the sort of principles behind just war is that it should be an act of last resort. It's not something that we just go into, oh, somebody's <laughs> doing something that seems like an attack on me or on some other innocent people. All right, let's just go in. Let's roll the troops and let's get in there and kill them all. Um, it Which is be there in America. Like I, yeah. I use the lawn chair thing because it's like you step on my property <laughs> while I have guns. I'm going to kill you. Yeah, it's like, man... <laughs> Talking like that or seeing those bumper stickers, yeah, it's like that. Th there is no place in Christianity for that attitude. Yeah, I'll, exactly. I'll go so far as to say that. And the Acts of Sin in 1939 say exactly that. Mm -hmm. um, it is is of grave concern for um, for people who who have that sort of attitude of one 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 toe falls onto a blade of grass of my lawn. And yeah. uh, and you need to know that I've got a dog that'll hurt you or yeah. or a gun that that can take you out. Yeah, um, I'm saddened. I I haven't heard that in our church, but I do know that that militaristic mindset is is mm -hmm. there among many self-professed Christians, both on an individual level and on yeah. a national level. It's kind of like the "don't tread on me" attitude blown way out of proportion yeah which has a, a, a kernel of truth in it don't tread yeah. on me i have my freedoms and yeah. my rights yes but the response again should be proportionate to proportional now i'm having a <laughs> yeah. confusion in my mind yeah. uh but it should be fitting in <laughs> proportion yeah yeah to to the act and so we can't just use everything to justify war uh we have to be very very careful and thoughtful in how we do go to war yeah. and so we shouldn't just go headlong into war uh, but another thing i think we can talk about in all of this that i think people will find fascinating some of you may know a little bit about the background here but some some may not it's not something that i was even super familiar with until a couple weeks ago uh, but the religious religious roots mm, yeah. of what's going on in in ukraine um the way I understand what is happening is heavily very complicated. Yeah, it's very complicated, <laughs> it is, and it requires you to know yeah. a lot of Eastern Orthodox Church history, yeah, uh, and and geopolitical history with regards to Russia and Ukraine uh, and their relations to each other, really dating back to the medieval period, oh. if not 
before that. Yeah, Slavic history. Goes back, yeah, thousands of years, possibly, uh, at least a a thousand years. And so it is very, very complicated sort of stuff uh, in terms of how those two nations see one another. Now, Mm -hmm. the Russian nation tends to, from what I understand, see the the Ukrainian nation as not really actually a nation, but more as a territory. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that the word Ukraine means a sort of like middle territory oh. or a, uh, a, a, a middle land uh, between Russia and the rest of Europe. And so it's sort of like a gateway or like a bridge territory. Uh, a buffer zone, yeah. The outer lands. Uh, and so in the Ukraine or in the Russian mind, from what I g- have gathered, there's a sense in which they see Ukraine as being a part of their territory. And of course the Ukrainians don't technically or don't typically see things that way. And this has um, really affected the Russian Orthodox churches on understanding of, of, of Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. Mark just pointed out to me that Ukrainians will say their country is called Ukraine, whereas Russians will refer to it as the Ukraine. Uh, I did not did not know that before. Yeah, it's good to be a little bit careful about about that because the Ukraine sounds like a territory. Yeah, and Ukraine sounds like a sovereign nation. So even in how we talk about the matter, I don't think that it's always communicating that when people talk about it in their daily conversation. But um, I have heard um, through my wife who listens to various podcasts that a Ukrainian person may be offended if you call it the Ukraine because hmm. that sounds like you're referring to it as a territory instead of as a sovereign nation. So something yeah. to be think uh, thoughtful about as yeah. you, you talk about these things, little ways of being polite, which are probably a good thing to learn. Yeah. Anyway, so, I digress. Yeah, so <laughs> from what I have, under, have understood, this comes from a couple of articles I've read, but mainly from a really great episode on the Unbelievable podcast from yeah. a few weeks ago. Um, where there was a discussion between, I forget the, the guy's name. Yeah, the religious of roots of the conflict is basically the title. Yeah, it. so yeah. it's I think it was early March that it was released, mm-hmm. so you could go, go and find it. Um, but it's got a Ukrainian Orthodox uh, priest and theologian hosted on it and a Roman Catholic, um, I think, journalist yeah. who are discussing the roots of it. But one of the main points that they make clear is that uh, the Russian Orthodox Church has created a sort of mythology that basically says that Ukraine is a part of the what is called Holy Rus, which is mm. like Holy Russia, and so it's a part of their ecclesial territory and it's a part of their inheritance essentially through history. And so, for the Ukraine, as they would put it. Mm-hmm. to want to become their own nation and therefore their own separate church, which they did in 2019. Mm. This is seen as a, a really bad thing. It's, it's this territory leaving our control, our power. And so the church sort of formulated a mythology of how Ukraine was uh, historically and religiously a part of the, of the, the Russian story. And so, that has sort of paved the way for some justification for going in and retaking Ukraine mm-hmm. back for for Russia, uh, because there has been this this religious mythology sort of cooked up in order to uh, 
in order to justify what was happening. Yeah, Am I understanding that right? I yeah. Know you oh, definitely. To it too. And I, there's another layer to it that it's been Western influence that has really hmm. pulled Ukraine away hmm. theologically and ideologically from Russia. Yeah, that and, is a big part and, of it. And so that Western influence uh, has a theological impact in saying it, it has made you Western liberals in the... Hmm. In democratic the, yeah in the democratic um, political sense but also yeah. in the theological sense and mm-hmm. so it's it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way where um russia acts antag- antagonistically towards ukraine and so they pull away and then they say oh see look you pulled away towards the western way of doing things yeah, and so yeah. that fulfilled our prophecy that mm-hmm. they um and so um uh patriarch Kirill had mentioned in a in a message recently about gay what is it gay pride parades and apparently there mm. there have been some in Ukraine mm. and how they're not allowed in Russia mm. and and so therefore that shows the infiltration of Western um, ideals social ideals in infecting Ukraine mm. and and so they're going to come and t- take back uh, yeah, sort of yeah. these people and expecting that the people would even love that they would be returned mm-hmm. to some uh conservative isn't the right term but traditional mm-hmm. uh morality traditional theology traditional political ideals mm-hmm. so um it, it's a real concoction of political religious kinds of things and this really goes to yeah. show where when the church starts to get caught up in um a being hyper politicized mm-hmm. uh being it's going. Of the it, state, it's going to be used by the state. Yeah. Um, you know, J.D. Greer recently said this really memorable little quote. He said, "When politics and religion get in bed together, the church gets pregnant, <laughs> and the baby who's born belongs to the political hmm. entity, and not so much to. Hmm. Uh, it, it's like that. That's the one who, um, who kind of wins out. To yeah. be quite honest, um, you don't always want to." Like he says that from a Baptistic perspective, and so he's trying to say they should be far, far apart. And mm-hmm. the, um, and so we would always say in the Christian Reform context, the church mm-hmm. and state are actually not separate, but they are distinct. And so they yeah. speak to one another mm-hmm. um, and uh, influence one another in various hopefully healthy ways. Mm-hmm. But we see here in the the case where they are not even distinct from one another in the Russian context. Yeah, and uh, of course. Um, tragedy ensues or, yeah. or, or chaos ensues. It's one of the, the crazier claims in that episode from the Unbelievable podcast where this ortho, or yeah, this Ukrainian Orthodox priest who I believe is now living in Canada. Did I miss that? Or Canada or mm. somewhere in the States? Maybe I... Yeah, I heard it a couple weeks ago. Maybe so I, I heard remember. that wrong. Yeah. So Listen to the podcast. Anyways, he makes the great. claim that <laughs> a lot of Russian Orthodox priests, he says about a third are involved in the KGB, which is like really eye-opening if, if that's true. It's really uh, yeah. fascinating to see how closely tied yeah. the government and the church are. Um, which is a crazy claim that like if mm-hmm. somebody told me that a third Christian Reformed Church pastors were CIA operatives, yeah, that would be... uh, I would say, wow, I don't know if I believe that. Mm-hmm. But if if you study USSR history... That is a very believable claim hmm. that the KGB infiltrated all areas of life, even down to the family level, where people would turn one another in. And this is 
verified historical fact that mm-hmm. the KGB had its fingers in everything. And so mm-hmm. it is reasonable to believe that that there is massive KGB influence in the Russian Orthodox Church today based on that historical evidence. So it would make sense why the Russian Orthodox Church would be so upset with the, the Ukrainian Orthodox yes. Church being granted independence now by the ecumenical patriarch in in Greece or in Constantinople. Yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really interesting stuff going on there. Uh, now that isn't to say that the Orthodox Church inherently is yeah. this really, really messed up thing. There's actually a lot of great statements that have come out recently from Orthodox leaders to mm-hmm. resist that. So that could be a whole different episode. And that's uh, something to pray for: courage within Russia, courage yeah. within the Russian Orthodox Church to speak the truth and to call for peace. Yeah, that's a great. Yeah great thing in in their churches to have the moral courage to stand up to to leaders who have been corrupted um, and who have been leading people astray who have been granting justification to uh, this this war and this conflict that's happening Uh, yeah that that is a stain on the bride of christ and so that is something that christians can and should be praying for yeah Um, but one of the things i want to sort of cycle back around to was that in the Russian Orthodoxes or in the patriarch uh, Kirill's uh, in his hatred towards the West I think you get a lot of interesting people on the on the right side of American politics mm-hmm. um, who really actually appreciate appreciate yeah, that they agree Maybe. they have that sort of same s- hatred for the Western world in which they live mm-hmm. and so there's sometimes even people who are prone to saying what is happening with Russia is actually, it, it is good and righteous. Um, and I think that that is pretty far-fetched um, given a whole lot of different reasons. But one of the main ones is that I don't think Russia should be, and this is me maybe speaking out of turn, but I don't think Russia has the, has the right to invade no. Ukraine and to by force take back what's theirs also if we're trying to abide by just war theory one of the one of the principles of just war theory is is acting in ways that are just in in in, in not killing civilians not bombing hospitals or schools yeah. or things like that um and abiding by um peace agreements to allow civilians to escape russia does not seem to be doing any of this as far as we can tell Um, i mean yes we're being told these things by media outlets that may have their own agendas but it does seem like russia is not abiding by any sort of just war principles Um, yeah not only in starting the war but in conducting it yeah Yeah. and so there yeah there is there issues with the west of course there's issues with the west there is a decadence in the west when it comes to sexual mores being changed like homosexuality and pride parades and things like that but that should not make us sympathetic to what is going on yeah. uh, with this war here uh, in ukraine this would be really really wrong of us to begin to think this way a pride parade is not grounds to invade a country yeah it's and like yeah <laughs> right. i mean that's almost the what was presented I, I didn't wasn't able to read his whole speech i would have liked to do that hmm. but that was part of the grounds yeah and it's um the christian you know what of course we oppose the celebration of sin 
Right. But at the same time, uh, you know, using the state to enforce uh, an invasion or a uh, sort of a clamping down on um, yeah. people's self-expression, uh, you know, that the Christian, I don't, I don't think could be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And if, <laughs> If we think this along those lines, we may begin to think that Putin is truly a great born-again Christian. And if we begin to think in that way, I would have serious suspicions. Yeah. Um, it would be sort of akin, maybe this isn't as bad, but people thinking that President Trump was a great, amazing Christian example. Um, and I don't think that that is the case, uh, but... So just to sort of think of Putin as a great Christian, that would be uh, a step too far, I think, well, to uh, say yeah, the least. I, I don't, I, I haven't really heard, actually, I've hardly ever heard him talk. You know, everything I hear is so much about him and yeah. and the fruit of his actions is is. I know some destruction, in, the, in the Orthodox Church think he's a great Christian. Some, some of the Russian Orthodox leaders would, but. Sure, yeah. Um, um, that should be far from us. <laughs> yeah, that well, should not be how we think. Yeah, well, p- part of that, what I think I hear you getting to, also is because the church has said something positive about this, must mean that there must be some good thing happening about this invasion. You know, like hmm. it's almost like people are so loyal to the church, which so loyalty being a good thing, hmm. that. Oh, I would imagine this is happening in Russia. Well, the yeah. church has said that this is a good thing to do, and so it's lending credence to mm-hmm. the invasion itself. Um, I would guess that if if people here heard that the Russian Orthodox Church is seeming officially supportive of the invasion, oh, that would make them pause. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a way that that Satan would um, would take a good thing, loyalty. And mm. twist it into a blind loyalty, and um, not really evaluating again what the scriptural mandate is to seek peace, or yeah. even what the historic church call is for um, conducting war only in a just way. Um, I, I would guess that I mean that's a, yet another prayer for the Russian people is that they would discern with scripture instead of just discerning according to the mandates of the organizational church, which mm-hmm. has been very wrong throughout world history. Yeah. Um, you know, thinking of things like crusades and inquisitions and mm-hmm. so forth. Uh, we can see that, that the organizational church has erred greatly. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, that could be a prayer request for Russian people that they would, that they would understand the will of God truly as it is. And that they would, would seek his will mm-hmm. from scripture um, far more than they would from a church that could be quite compromised. Yeah, yeah, that's a great, great way to start to sort of wrap it up too. Is thinking about ways to pray for what's going on. Uh, we've already mentioned a couple for courage in the church, being another one. But what would be some other ways that yeah. Christians should set their attention in prayer uh, when they are uh, considering what's happening in Ukraine? Well. I think we pray for peace, and and um, I know that in my my sermon on war, I mentioned that it's often interpreted that praying for peace is like a wussy, cowardly thing to pray about. Yeah, like oh, you're you're just praying for peace because you're uh, you're not courageous or don't really think that uh, people should even be fighting. 
no yeah. like i think that we can pray for peace while also saying yeah we also pray for the Ukrainian success in battle. Oh, man, I bet you the Ukrainians are praying for peace more than anybody yeah. the, on the planet right, right and now. They're the most courageous people at this point, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so um, I think it is good to pray for peace that that Christ will be exalted in this land of many, many people who profess his name mm-hmm. and uh, that we pray for the church in particular. Um, one, one thing I always think when I encourage people to pray for the church in Ukraine, that's never at the exclusion of praying for non-believers in this country. Yeah. Um, at times, I think we can you know, pray for Christians in India, for example, and it almost sounds like we're pitting Indian Christians against Hindu yeah, um, yeah. Hindu people, and that that's not really. We, we pray for the church that they would have a witness of love and of truth to their neighbors, that they hmm. would be courageous, um, perhaps that they would fight if called to do so and do so courageously and yeah. in a way that honors the Lord. Um, but also pray for all people of Ukraine that, that they would have um, certainly a measure of safety and mm-hmm. that there would be an end to the war soon. And the Lord causes wars to cease, it said in Psalm 46. So given God's promise there, that's what we should pray he fulfills in mm-hmm. Ukraine today. Yeah. One thing that's been on my, my mind and my heart has been praying for missionaries in, in mm-hmm. Ukraine. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago hearing about Reformed Baptist Seminary there. And actually, when I was in seminary, there were some Ukrainian men at my seminary uh, who were from Ukraine. They were not just Ukrainian-American. And so it makes me think about the cause of the gospel in, in Ukraine, not just with the Ukrainian Orthodox Church, but with Protestant churches there as well. There are there are many Protestant uh, missionaries and uh, schools, the small schools that are uh, seeking to to preach the gospel to the people around them. Ukraine, as far as I know, this is sort of what's been caused or used as justification by the Russian Orthodox Church. Ukraine is a f- very atheistic nation, mm. um, from what I'm what I've heard, and so we really do need to pray for the advance of the gospel in in these times. Mm-hmm. I saw a video early on in the war, back, what would have been back in February of U- Ukrainian Christians in the subways praying hymns. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if they were Orthodox or Protestant or what, but it was a really cool uh, witness, I think, that they had to, yeah. that they could show the strength of God in such a chaotic situation. Um, yeah, God is with you, you know, and these, these declarations that they can make when the world is falling apart, the Lord yeah. um, is above it and, and is able to, to help. Yeah. So that's the message. And of course, we just need to pray for the general safety of the public, especially uh, there. Um, And so we need to pray that people continue evacuating uh, free of harm. I know there's been a lot of people who have died along the way as they've been trying to escape, but Mm -hmm. those millions of people, I think it's... Children. Yeah, women and children, especially who are escaping and becoming refugees, we must pray for their resettlement and and, in new places. Some of them may never return their whole lives um, and so we need to we need to welcome them if they're coming into our countries mm-hmm. <laughs> I think and we need to to take care of them as much as we can because that is what love of the neighbor requires yeah and praying for Vladimir Putin um, yeah. that that is a command of the Bible is to pray for those who are in authority and uh, pray that his heart would turn because he does seem to 
have all, hold the reins uh, basically yeah. in, in the whole situation. And if he says, let's call it off, it'll happen tomorrow. And so mm-hmm. that's what we pray that, that he would have a change of heart, a change of mind. And, um, that this one man with so much power would use that power, um, for wise, uh, um, that, for, for a good, for good instead of what is now yeah. being used for evil. Um, so yeah, that's, a. Uh, hopefully some takeaways and and <laughs> and you know we did hope to shed more light on the conversation there's a lot of heat in these conversations i uh, mm-hmm. maybe my last little little word which is a quick word is to be careful of how you consume uh, media during this time yeah. um, right when the war started i was really curious and i turned on fox news and i saw that fox news was blaming biden for the war <laughs> and then I'm like, I thought, okay, well, what is MSNBC saying? And they were blaming blaming Trump for the war, mm-hmm. and and so what I just wanted was information about where the war is even happening, and I would have loved to seen a map and a an explanation of, yeah. of why this is occurring. But those cable news outlets actually have far less information in giving you or less desire to give you information than they do in gaining ratings. And, and so be, point. be careful of how you consume information about the war. And if it is just stirring up within you hatred for Democrats or Republicans, you're not consuming information in the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, as you learn what is happening, hopefully the, you're filled with compassion for those who are actually suffering, yeah. for uh, you're filled with faith in God, and then that would prompt you to pray for Vladimir Putin. And with uh, your, your prayer can also be Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus, into this world where there's so much sadness and pain. So um, if, yeah. if, if we come out of this war and we think we just need a new president, we haven't really learned our lesson. <laughs> that that may, be, yeah. may or may not be true, but um, I think that that's the way it's being framed by American media. Yeah. And and so that greatly saddens me, and we're not learning our lesson, and, and we're not really f- being filled with compassion for suffering people mm-hmm. if our whole response is, Biden needs to fix our gas mess, you know, mm-hmm. our, our, the, the, the problem. Like, it, it's, it seems so far afield from the actual content of the conversation that it's discouraging. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, as Mark said, we do hope that you guys were were helped by this in some small way i would again recommend listening to that episode from the unbelievable podcast yeah, great uh, really really helpful episode kind of long it's about an hour and a half i we'll think put it in the show notes here um but yeah other than that please like share comment subscribe uh, give us a review on itunes whatever you need to do uh, and we'll be looking forward to being with you all again next week all right bye